If you have a Bible uh, or want to grab one of the Bibles in the pews, please turn to Luke chapter 7. It's page 1035. We're continuing our Revealed series. If I can flick that over there, Andrew, on to the next one. We're continuing our reveal series, just, just looking at various incidents in the life of Jesus. We've looked at about three or four of those so far. And the whole idea is not only to discover more about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, but also recognizing that as Jesus himself said, when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And therefore, as we encounter Jesus, we discover more about who God is. The story that we're about to read tonight is set against the backdrop of personal tragedy and grief. A mother has lost her son. A parent is burying their child. And there are very few things in life as difficult for a parent to cope with or have to do. It kind of shouldn't happen like that. Parents shouldn't bury their children. But in this story, it's an even more painful situation because the lady in question is also a widow. She's already had to deal with the loss of her soulmate, the loss of her husband. And and so as we come to read this story, we do need to tread carefully. I need to be sensitive. I, I don't want to say anything that's unhelpful tonight or trite about this passage that somehow rushes past or reduces the pain and the distress of what for many people is an all too real issue. It's an actual experience. It's part of their story or it may become part of their story. Death is a reality. It surrounds us. We hear about it, we read about it, we know about it every single day, and yet when it visits and when it invades our personal space, when it invades our families, our friends, it still shocks, it still hurts, it gets us, it upsets us, it confuses us. And so I want to read tonight recognizing that the lady we encounter in this story is a real person with real feelings and real grief. So let's stand together for the public reading of God's all-embracing words. We're starting at verse 11 of Luke chapter 7. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the bear. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Grab a seat. The the kind of contrast between the two crowds that met and crossed paths that day couldn't have been greater. You have one crowd, the one that was with Jesus, 
who were in high spirits. If you sort of glance up, if you have a Bible open in front of you, if you glance up to what actually happened just before this incident, you'll notice that this crowd who were with Jesus had just witnessed a remarkable thing in the face of imminent death. A centurion's servant had been miraculously healed. Jesus hadn't even seen the servant. He was on his way to visit him, but he didn't actually get there. Or so it seems, but, but somehow following on from what Jesus said about the faith of the centurion, the friends of the Roman commander come and tell him and therefore tell Jesus, listen, your servant is fully recovered, totally well, completely healed. And so the crowd that are walking with Jesus must have been in good form. But soon afterwards, they, they meet a very different crowd. It's a crowd of mourners. They're carrying a casket. And they're on their way to a cemetery or to a burial ground. The highs and lows of people's lives bump into each other. You see, the celebration of life and the reality of death exist alongside one another in local communities. One family rejoicing at someone who has been, who's got better, who's recovered, who's found life again. Another family's heartbreaking. And very quickly the text tells us the identity of the dead person, but more than that, it also in the space of a few words tells us a lot about his immediate family. And it's so sad, it says a dead person was being carried out and he is the only son of his mother and she was a widow. So here is a lone parent now whose husband has died and here she is burying her only son. And it's heartbreaking at so many levels but at this time and in that culture it's even more poignant because this is now a woman without a male protector in a male dominated world. She's not only lost her only son, but she's lost the support and the status and the future that he would have provided for her. Not that she's thinking about that just right now as she's crying her eyes out. But that detail would not have been lost on the first readers of this story. This was a woman in a painful and a bleak place staring at an unsafe and an uncertain future. And then we come to a key, and maybe it is the key and striking moment in the story, and it certainly seems to be that for Luke, the way he records what happens next. And the tendency on our part, those of us who know this story and even haven't read through it, is to jump to the exciting bit after the key part. We want to get to the bit where Jesus raises the dead, where Jesus turns a family funeral into a family reunion. And yes, that is exciting and that is incredible and that is important and we will get there. But in some way, for us, if we go there too quickly, then this story can almost seem to be taken out of our world. Out of our normal experience, out of what more or less always tends to happen in our lives. Dead people don't come back to life. Funeral processions continue on to a graveside. 
And therefore, at one level, to go immediately to what does happen next almost seems a bit too unreal for us and for our families and for our friends. And so verse 13 central. Central to the story, central to our engagement with it and our understanding of it. And this is what Luke is wanting to communicate because he says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. It's such a moving moment. You see, Jesus sees the pain. He sees the tears. He sees a broken woman who's wrecked by grief. And his heart goes out. Yes, in in a matter of minutes, his power is going to be visible for all to see. But in this moment, and maybe in this story, this this is the totality of what Luke wants us to get It's not the power of Jesus, it's the passion of Jesus. Because it's this that connects every single time. And in every single situation, you see, Jesus may not always raise dead people back to life, but he does always see our pain. His heart still goes out and keeps going out to broken, hurting people. It's not just what Jesus did here that will inevitably grab the headlines. It's why he did it. Why did he do that? And see, the word that is actually used here is this word, compassion. If you have an ESV version, a King James version, a New King James version, an RSV version of the Bible, here's how Luke seven thirteen reads. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And that word appears two other times in Luke's gospel record. Once whenever Jesus is telling the story of the good Samaritan, he uses this word to describe how the Samaritan felt about the half-dead man who was lying by the side of the road. And the other time we find this word is in the story of the prodigal son or the lost son or even the prodigal father. Whenever Jesus uses the same word to capture the father's love at seeing his child returning. And here in the city of Nain, the heart of Jesus goes out to a grieving widow. He has compassion on her. Don't know if you picked up one of the lines in our opening hymn, Love Divine, Jesus, thou art all compassion. See, Jesus is deeply affected and impacted by this woman's pain. It it cuts him up. It turns, it churns his stomach. That is what it literally means. It gets him right down in his inner being. It moves him. Jesus is not indifferent to this woman. He's not oblivious to her pain. He sees her and he feels for her. And therefore, in this touching moment, we catch a glimpse of the Father heart of God. That, that is what is revealed in this moment. That is what Jesus reveals to us. The compassionate heart of God for people whose own hearts are breaking. And in a sense, that's all I want to say tonight. that God has compassion on those who are hurting, whoever they are and for whatever reason, for people in pain. 
And surely there's something reassuring and comforting in knowing that even when our worlds are falling apart, when we walk through the valleys, yes, even the valley of the shadow of death, God sees. And God's heart goes out. And God cares and God comforts. He's not a cold. He's not a distant. He's not an uninterested deity. He is a loving, compassionate father. And so if you are here tonight with a heavy heart or if someone close to you is in a dark and difficult place, I I believe God sees. Nobody else might see. Nobody else might know. But I believe God sees and God cares. I believe the Lord is gracious and compassionate as we read time and time again in Scripture. And here, outside the city gates of Nain, as Jesus bumps into a distraught, grieving widow, we discover that truth and we're comforted by that reality. And I believe Luke doesn't want us to miss that. The first gospel writer, Matthew, tells us that whenever Jesus saw the crowds in Jerusalem, he had compassion on them. Here in Luke 7, we also discover that Jesus doesn't just see crowds. Jesus sees individuals. And his heart goes out to them. But compassion doesn't just stop there with with seeing and feeling. It's an emotional word, but but it's also an active word. Compassion is a verb. It's It's not just about feeling sorry for someone. It's about doing something to express it. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a word that captures and explains the different actions that were taken by the Good Samaritan. The bandaging up of the wounds, the pouring of the out of the oil and the wine, the putting of the wounded man on his own donkey, taking him to an end, paying for his keep at the end. That's compassion. Yes, his stomach turned, his stomach was churned as he saw the dead man, half-dead man, lying at the side of the road, but he didn't just walk past feeling sorry for him, having pity on him. He actively then did something to express his love and care. And in the story of the lost son, the father does what no elderly man in that culture would ever do. He runs out to meet his child, and then he does all those other things. He puts a ring on his finger and a robe around his shoulder, and he throws a massive party. That's true compassion. It's active. And here in Nain, Jesus does something. Now, what he does is incredible. It is life-altering, literally. But the main point for now that I want to highlight is that Jesus does what he has the power to do. And therein lies the challenge for those of us who are Christians. You see, for those of us who live in God and follow Jesus, as we meet, as we bump into, as we live with hurting people, we see their pain, we see their brokenness. And very often we do feel for them. We are sorry and that is important and I don't want to downplay that in any shape or form. But if we're going to show true compassion, if our hearts are going to be like Christ's heart, if our hearts are going to go out to them, then we have got to do something. We have got to do what is within our power to do. Jesus had it in his power to bring this guy back to life again. We, we don't have that within our power most of the time. But we can do something. We have lots within our part. It may be something very small in comparison to their need, in comparison to their situation, in comparison to what Jesus did. But that's not the issue. We can bring a meal. We can pay a visit. We can pray for them. We can listen to them. We can sit with them. We can wrap a bandage around their wounds. We can throw our arms around their shoulders. 
But if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, if we're going to express true discipleship, then we must actively show and demonstrate love. True compassion is active. It's a verb. It's an action word. It goes beyond an emotional response. But if we go back to the story, we don't just read that Jesus sees her. And his heart goes out to her, but we also read that he speaks to her. And he speaks two words, don't cry, which, which must have seemed a little strange. But then he touches the, the beer, and a beer is a, a movable frame on which corpses lay as, they're being as they were being carried to their grave. And so he touches this kind of carrying thing. And he speaks to the corpse. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And he does. And the boy begins to speak. And so Jesus gives him back to his mother. And this is the first time that Jesus raised a person from the dead. Jesus did it three times. What were the other two times? Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. And every time Jesus did this, he did speak to the corpse. And we read that the dead heard his voice and they obeyed. See, Jesus faced man's worst enemy, our worst enemy. Jesus faced death and had authority over it. He triumphed over it. And a scripture tells and teaches us one day he'll do that himself on that first Easter. God will raise Jesus from the dead. Only this time, death will be forever defeated. All three people that Jesus brought back to life, including this boy, eventually died again. But Jesus didn't. Hasn't. He is alive forevermore. And because of that, death has lost its sting. Jesus has conquered death by his own death and resurrection. And therefore, it is an eternally defeated enemy. Yes, it still wreaks havoc. It still causes mourning and grief. It still intrudes. It's still deadly. But it will not have the last word. There is a new day coming whenever Jesus returns and death will be no more as was the original design. Philip Yancey, reflecting on Luke chapter 7, suggests that miracles like this one tell us what the world was meant to be. Tell us how the world was meant to be. They remind us that God is no more satisfied with this world than we are. And more than that, stories like this offer us a hint of what God intends to do about it. You see, one day everything will be made new. And even now, even in this moment, in this story, Luke gives us a glimpse of God's heart. And what is God's heart? He's full of love, life, healing, restoration, renewal, possibilities, and passion. That's the heart of God. For now we do have to live with the tragic reality for, of death. But even in that, for those who believe in Jesus, there is hope. There is hope. And just a couple of final comments on this story. The, the impact of what Jesus did here was striking. 
we read in verse 16 that they, which kind of implies the mother and the son, but I reckon it probably included everyone who witnessed this event, this miracle. They were all filled with awe and praised God, it says. You see, they knew they were in the presence of the supernatural. They realized that God was in this, that God was behind us, and that he deserved the glory. He deserved to be praised. And whenever heaven touches earth, whenever we catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God in its fullest colors, there really is only one response, and that's total worship, awe and wonder. You know that hymn we sang, that we would be lost in wonder, love and praise. And you know, one day, that's gonna be the norm. That's gonna be the norm, not the exception. And just one last comment. In the previous incident of healing at the beginning of Luke 7, of the centurion's servant, we read in verse nine of the centurion's faith. In fact, according to Jesus, he hadn't found such great faith even in Israel as he did in the centurion's life. But in this incident in Nain, there's no mention of faith. It would appear that it wasn't because of this woman's faith that her son was raised from the dead. It was all because of the compassion and power of Jesus. And you know, Psalm 145 reminds us, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion, it says, on what? All that he has made. We as Christians don't have a monopoly on God's compassion. See, God sees the hurting and the broken people in our streets. He sees them and his heart goes out to them. He has compassion on them. He has compassion on people of faith. He has compassion on people of no faith. He truly is gracious and compassionate. He really does love the world. And so what does Jesus reveal about God in this story, in this incident? Well, the the key and core thing I just want us to leave here with this evening is a greater understanding and awareness of the Father heart of God. God sees. God's heart goes out to those who mourn tonight, to those who are hurting, to those who are feeling unsafe and uncertain, to those who worry about the future, to those who cry, not here tonight, but who cry behind closed doors. God's heart goes out to those who are walking through valleys tonight. Because we have a God of compassion who sees and who feels and who does something. A God who deserves our praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Jesus we get a glimpse of your heart. A heart that is full of compassion, a heart that goes out 
to those who hurt. And so, Father God, I pray for each person sitting in this church tonight who internally are hurting, grieving, still grieving, still feel like they're walking through a valley. I pray for those on our streets. I pray for those in this city. Many of whom don't acknowledge you, don't worship you, don't praise you, but God, your heart goes out to them. And I thank you for that. And so I pray that as we leave here later on, that as we walk these streets, as we walk our communities, as we walk into our places of work, that we will see people and our hearts will go out to them. And God will not just feel sorry for people, we'll actively do something to express the love of God that has captured our hearts. The Lord is good to all. He's compassion on all that he has made. Jesus, thou art all compassion. And so we sing. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. We'll stand to sing this song. We're gonna sing two songs together just as an opportunity to respond. Um, I know we sang this last week, but Trevor was really keen we sing it again. And then after we sing, my Jesus, I love thee, we're gonna sing, search me, know me.